couple of things I, I just want to say. I want to say thank you for being here. Uh, if you're checking out Outward Church, and, and um, especially for somebody who does not claim to be a Christian, I, I, I want you to know that we uh, do our very best to, to help make sure that you feel included in the service and that you understand what we're talking about, although we don't pull any punches about what the Scripture says we want you to know that we're, we're just thankful that you're here. We're, we are honored by your presence, and we, we thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm um, one of the pastors here at Outward Church, and um, I have the privilege uh, of teaching on a regular basis here uh, along with our other elders and, and so forth. But um, just a couple of things that I, that I want to celebrate real quick, and that is that we had our, our, our women's uh, Outward Tables this last week, and Outward Tables is an opportunity for women to get together and just connect and we heard some amazing stories uh, from this last week when that took place here just out in our lobby there. It was super cool. There's some pictures on uh, Facebook that you could check out just to see what, what that looked like. And uh, so many of you uh, got to connect that were not connected previously. And we had uh, close to 60 women that were a part of that. And so we're super thankful uh, for the way that that went, because we really believe that one of our main efforts is just to connect people with the community that is the church, with the people um, of the church. And so we're super excited about that. Secondly, um, we know that some of you have recently come to faith. We know that some of you have, have never been, have never walked in obedience in the matter of baptism. Uh, some of you who, who want to begin that. Um, and so we want to encourage you to fill out a connection card, check, you know, I, I'd like to know more about baptism or whatever it says on that connection card, because we'd love to get you connected with someone who can talk to you more about baptism and, and, and uh, being a part of that. And then as soon as we have some of those folks uh, put together, we'll, we will have a baptism here at, at the church. So we want to encourage you towards that. Uh, thirdly, uh, THX is taking place here, and THX is essentially, it is outward church being outward. It is, we, our purpose in this city is to love Jesus and to live outward. So live out of that love that we have for Jesus, um, how Jesus loved us first, and so he has brought about this great love that we have for him, and it is in and through that that we love our city. And so one of the ways that we do that is, is through social action. We want to serve in the community. And within various neighborhoods and areas within the city, there are people who do not get to have Thanksgiving dinner. And so it's a great opportunity. We want to celebrate what our culture is celebrating insofar as it's redeemable. And, so, and Thanksgiving is one of those things. And so we take Thanksgiving dinner to families all throughout the city. And, um, and we uh, just encourage them, pray for them, things of that nature, take them some gifts, take them a Christmas tree. And so we call that THX. And so uh, a couple of things that we need, we have a lot of volunteers that have signed up, but, set, but, but one of the biggest things that we need is, is money. And so the way that you can help with that, you can give online. You could just drop a check in one of the boxes that's at one of the exit doors. It just, there's a little sign that says give above that box. It's by each exit door. And so you can give, give there. We don't pressure people towards giving at the local church. We want you to do this out of the kindness of your heart, what God has given you. And so uh, you can give in that way through a check. Just mark on your check in the memo or, or put it in an envelope and just say, for Thanksgiving. Or you can go uh, back here to the THX corner and uh, just look at different giving amounts. Grab one of those cards. Tell the person there um, at the THX area that I'd, I'd like to give this much, and, and, and that's my plan. And so you can give right there or you can take that home with you so that it's a reminder to you. And so it, it costs us... Um, 
Uh, it has cost us in years past seven thousand uh, dollars to pull this off. Like it's it's a good chunk of change to be able to provide dinner for that many people. And I, I just want you to know it is making an impact in our city, and we just we want to encourage you to do that. We haven't had a ton of giving thus far. Part of the reason for that we believe oftentimes happens because we start announcing this at the end of October. You've spent a lot of money. I've spent a lot of money. Um, I'm in the middle of remodeling my house, so not a lot of funds left over by the end of the month. And so uh, here, here we are at the early stages of November. So I want to encourage you, dig deep, give towards that, sponsor as many families as possible. It typically takes $70 to sponsor a family. So I want to encourage you uh, into that. And then lastly is this, is that basic is right after the service. Basic is for people who are just like, I don't know where to begin. Um, I, 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 w- I want to find out more about the church. I want to find out more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. I want to I figure out what my, my first step is. That is your first step. Uh, and we'd love to have you at that. It's just right back here, right after service. We'd love to connect you uh, with you just right at the back of the uh, sanctuary here. Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 5, so you can turn there with me in your Bibles if you have it, or flip there in your phone. We also have an app called the Bible app. I always forget this, and, and Pastor Ryan, bless his heart, is always like, try to get it right this time, Matt. And I get it wrong every time. We ha- there is an app. I promise you, and uh, you can find the passage on there. I think there's a slide. We're in the Bible app. Wow, that should have been easy, right? So 1 Corinthians 5 is about kicking people out of the church. And so uh, just so you know, um, it's one of the most abrasive passages that we could possibly talk about. Here's why we would talk about this, because our culture abhors it. And so we pride ourselves in talking about things that culture uh, (laughs) abhors, and we love to talk about because of this, because there is a misunderstanding about what's happening in this passage. And the misunderstanding is this, it is, it is brought on by churches in uh, and over the years and throughout the centuries that have practiced what is called church discipline wrongly. They have practiced it incorrectly. And, uh, and, but the, the other reason why this is so abhorrent is, is this, is that so many people, especially in our culture... Uh, believe, and most of us believe that we're individuals, that I'm an individual, no one should get into my business. What business is it of yours to tell me what I should do with my sex life or with uh, anything within the context of my life, with my money, with the way that I treat other people? And so we very much believe that we, we are individuals and that we should be able to act any way that we want. So we have this individualistic society which in, in, it historically is not very common. It's not super common. It was, it was, it was getting common in this day in, in 1 Corinthians 5, but uh, throughout the centuries, uh, many, many uh, countries and people groups were very communal. They were communal. They were about the community. They were, they, when, they, when they sinned or when they did something wrong, it was against their family. It was against the group of people. However, we have lost that over the years. And so uh, in, in a very real sense, we believe that it's just me and my sin. It's just my stuff. It's what I have chosen to do. And how dare you speak into this? And so uh, in a very real way, so many people uh, would describe this type of teaching with these words. They would say, this is shunning. This is shunning people. I I have a friend uh, whose uh, wife uh, was a part of another um, religion. I would call it a cult. 
when she left that religion and decided to marry an evangelical Christian, um, her family shunned her. They did not come to the wedding. They did not show up. It was very sad. That is shunning. Uh, excommunication. You, you hear about that in all different types of churches, religions, and, and things of that nature. Uh, the Church of Scientology and uh, different things like that, that again, I would, I would say are cultish, uh, practice these types of things. And, and what they mean by this is that we, we stop talking to you, you're out of the family, you're done, there's no way for you to get back, it's, it's over. It happens in every area of life where they'd say, uh, you, no one is going to spend time with you, we're not going to talk uh, to you, we are going to slander you. We're going to make sure that you understand that you're in trouble, and it is punitive in nature. What that means is that it is punishment. You've left uh, the truth, and so we are going to punish you uh, for this. And so, shunning, excommunication, exclusion, ostracizing, expulsion. These are all negative terms that our culture would use for the idea of saying we're going to remove a member. However, what we want to hear today is we want to hear about inclusion. We want to hear about tolerance. We want to hear about open-mindedness, acceptance, things along those lines. And very well-meaning people bring those terms into the church and misapply them. They misapply them. They miss the point. They miss the point. They miss the idea of what God has ordained. Let me read the passage for you so you can be offended. We'll get that out of the way, and then we'll go from there. So, 1 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul says this, it is actually reported. Now, just listen to what he's, what he's saying there. He's saying, uh, I can't believe that I have to say this out loud, right? <laughs> or write this out loud, if, if that's possible, right? He's writing a letter, so. Uh, I, I can't believe that I actually have to say this. Um, these are the kinds of conversations that we have with our children. Uh, stop licking the doorknob. Like, the things that you have to shout as a parent are, do not eat the toothpaste. Like, I mean, it just, it, it just, the absurdity that just comes out of your mouth. And, and Paul is saying, this is so absurd that I even have to say this, that I even have to communicate this. Like, this is really awkward for me. Like, I don't really want to have this conversation right now, but this is, this is kind of where we're at. And so he says, I, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality. Now, let me stop right there. Sexual immorality, it's one word. It is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. It has to deal with prostitution, but it is a junk drawer term for all types of sex outside of marriage or sex outside of what God has deemed uh, clearly right and holy, okay? So he says, it is actually reported that there is pornea among you, like within the context of the local church. So understand this. What he's saying is he's saying that in the church, inside of God's people, Within the context, not just people who are attending, 
Not just people who are just kind of investigating into who Jesus is. Not people who don't claim to be Christians. We're talking about people who have checked the card, they have whatever it is, and they've said, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I want to walk with him. Okay? So that's a very important point. We're not talking about people outside of the church, and Paul is going to go into that in greater detail in a minute. He says, it's actually reported that there is pornea, there is sexual immorality among you, and of a, of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. So he says this. He says, there is this kind of sexual immorality that people, pagans, People who are not part of the church. He calls people who are outside of the church pagans. I don't believe it's a demeaning term. What he's saying is that it, he's saying that every other people outside of this church, people even outside of Bible-believing Christians, people who are not uh, believers in Jesus Christ, these people even can look at what you're doing and they can say, like, that is so messed up, dude. Like, <laughs> so weird. So weird. And so what he says is he says, for a man has his father's wife. Now, this is just, yeah, right? Okay. So if, if it was his mother, he would have said he has his mother. So incest. But it's, we don't believe it's his mother. We believe it's his stepmother. So a man who claims to be a believer, he is, he is in a relationship with his father's uh, wife, his stepmother. Okay? Now... Uh, any number of things could have taken place. The father could have passed away. They could be divorced. It could be an adulterous affair. We don't know what it is, but what Paul is really emphasizing here is not so much the immorality of the issue, but the, it's the response of the church. And, and the, where we're getting that from is that he's saying, like, even outside of the church, they know that this is wrong. Like, we can look at things throughout our society. You can look at what has taken place within the context of the Catholic Church. And I'm not sitting here trying to demean the Catholic Church. But they themselves have noted that they have had massive sexual problems within the context of the local church where people have been abused. And so all of us and people outside of the Catholic Church can point fingers and say, I don't care who you are, that's just messed up, that's wrong. That's what Paul is saying. And in fact, we could quote Gaius, who was a Roman jurist, and he says this, it is illegal to marry a father's or mother's sister. Neither can I marry her who has been formerly or at one time my mother-in-law or stepmother. So not only does the Bible specifically in the Old Testament outlaw this type of relationship, okay? So the Old Testament has clearly spoken to this. These people should know this. But then even beyond that, people of Rome in that Greco-Roman society know that this is jacked up and should not be taking place. It's just gross, all right? And so Paul is communicating to them like there is something wrong. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Let's just stop right there. I was going to read the whole thing. I just want to explain it while I go, right? And you are arrogant. 
Now, we've been talking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and if you've been here, what you would know is that what's taking place among these people is that these people think that they have their stuff together. They believe that they are so wise and that they, that, you know, they, they have these great speakers and they have these really fantastic people. But this goes into another level of arrogance, another level of pride. He says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? He says that their pride has caused them to, instead of mourn over the sin of their brother, they're celebrating it. They're celebrating it. And what they're doing is they're, they're, they're saying this. They are calling something holy that God has called unholy. It is a grave mistake for church leaders to call something holy that God has called unholy. And Paul says, you should have been mourning over this sin. You should have been weeping as, as though you were weeping over a dead person. That's what that word there means. You should have been weeping over this person's sin. Instead, you're celebrating it. And the words that they're using are tolerance. The words that they're using are, we're so inclusive Look at how accepting we are. Look at how accepting we are. We are we're accepting this person into our community, sin and all. We're allowing them to have a prominent position. In fact, it's believed that this person was prominent. And so they didn't want to confront them. And so instead of confronting them, they decided to accept them, sin and all, and even bless their sin and say, look at how great uh, uh, we are for what we're doing. Guys, I, I just want to stop right here and just say uh, there's been a recent Christian leader that walked away from historic Christian teaching. The Word of God itself claims that they have a high view of Scripture. And the problem with that is this, is that they are going beyond the Scriptures. As Paul warned these people before, I am telling you not to go beyond what is written. And do you know what's happening? They're going beyond what is written. And do you know why they're doing it? Because they love people. They love people. And do you know what's so hard about that? It's so hard because these are people who have, who have been given a gifting by God to be loving to, to love people really well, and they, are, they really are great people. And, and, and they've cared for people over and over again. But what has taken place is that they've isolated their gift and their desire to be loving towards people, and they've isolated it, and they've said, this is the end all. This is the one thing that matters above all other things, and so therefore, I need to be accepting on so many levels, and they've even gone so far as to say that they're proud of what they're doing, kind of standing in arrogance, as though, oh, everyone else is, is, is taking a shot at me now because of my great position in our world. And guys, you know what? These won't be the last people that do that. This won't be the last one. We should write a form letter. We should just write a form letter and just put a blank there. So-and-so has recently said that sexual immorality has, is okay. 
<laughs> just put a blank there at so-and-so. So-and-so has recently said this. Um, in spite of historic Christian teaching, in spite of what the Word of God says, in spite of all of these things, in spite of the very best arguments in support of sexual immorality, these people have gone against that and have chosen to do that. They will not be the last. They will not be the last person. And Christians so many times get so heated over these discussions and think that somehow like this should not be happening. Or they say, man, I really respected that person and I like the direction that they're going because they're so loving. The problem is that they've gone beyond what the scriptures have to say and it has turned into arrogance of one of the worst kinds. And so Paul says, and you are arrogant Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. The number one thing that people do not want to do, the number one thing that they, they, that, that they do not want to take part in, and let me tell you, I'll include myself in this, the thing that I do not want to do is to somehow give credence to the claim by our culture, that the church is, oh, you're so exclusive. You just kick people out right and left. No, I don't want to give credence to that. And so this passage is uncomfortable. Even though it's rare to ever have to exercise church discipline, it is rare. But Paul says that the one thing that they are unwilling to do is that they are unwilling to remove this person who is not just kind of uh, screwing up occasionally and trying to work on their, their life and saying, man, I'm, I want things to be different and they're repenting. It's not that. It's not that kind of sin. It is full-blown. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the scriptures say. I don't care what anybody says. I'm doing this because this is what I feel. Their God is their stomach and they'll do whatever they want. And guys, I need to tell you something. When you make the claim, like, oh, that just feels wrong to me. Listen, I get it. I get it. Because you feel like, man, I just, I don't want to do that. But at the end of the day, this is, this is what a Christian says. This is what a Christian does. A Christian says this, like, God's word, God's word is king. God's word is king, and I am his servant. I am its servant. I serve the word of God with my life. The word of God is the authority over me. The word of God is the authority over the church. The word of God is the thing that is able to command me in any way it sees fit to follow Jesus. Too many people are unwilling to do that. They're unwilling to walk in that. And I understand why. Because it's difficult. Because our culture is all about individualism. Because I'm not about the community. I'm about myself. I'm about what I'm doing. And so, so many people disagree with this. And so he says this, for though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. 
and, if, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who's, who did such a thing. Paul says, I don't even have to be there to tell you that this is wrong. Oh, your judgment, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know my life. Like, I, I, you, you have no idea what type of relationship me and my stepmom have. Ah, all right? Sorry I even had to say that. But you, like, that's what Paul is saying. Like, <laughs> I don't have to be there to tell you that this is gross. Number two, I don't have to be there to tell you that this is wrong. He says, verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present. And what he's saying, he's saying, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you guys. Be strong. Do what you have to do. Do the right thing. I'm with you, right? He says, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Okay, stop right there. Okay, Paul did not just say, draw a pentagram on the ground, like nail him to the floor, and then light some candles and like have a seance and say, Satan, you can have your way with him. That's not what Paul just said, right? What the apostle Paul just said is he said, all right, the outside world is Satan's kingdom. We're not talking about buildings here. We're talking about people. In the context of God's people, uh, Satan has no power. This is not his kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. Satan's kingdom is, is in the outside world. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, I want you to give this guy to the world that he already wants to be a part of. I want you to give him back to that world so that... He can get so sick of his sin, or his sin ends up destroying him to the point so that, look at what the next word says, so that, and you should circle that, and you should remember this, and you should highlight that, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Let's just be real clear right now. I don't know what the Apostle Paul entirely means by that my viewpoint is this is that there are people who claim to be believers that i'm not sure are believers they've heard about the gospel but the gospel's never taken root in their lives it's never been played out in their lives and so what what's what's true is this is that they're christian in name only and so paul says like uh like there is this there here's this guy who's sinning in such a way that, that causes him to be identified with the outside world. And so what I want you to do is I want you to put him out of the church so that in the end, he can come to the end of himself in his sin. And he can come to a place where he says, Jesus is Lord, not my gut feelings. Not the way that I feel, not the things that I want, not my desires. Jesus is Lord. You, you have to get this. You have to get this. You can say that Jesus is your Lord. 
You can say it all day long. You can act like you're a, a Christian. But in the context of your obedience to God is where that comes out. When you walk in obedience, that is when faith is seen for what it truly is. That is when you can finally say, I trusted Jesus Christ because I trusted him, not just as the beginning of my Christian life, but I'm trusting him in these moments in my life. I'm trusting him in this way. I'm saying, my body, my mind, my will wants to act on this particular sin. And everything about me, everything about my culture, everything around me, some Christian leader, supposedly even, has given approval for my sin. But Jesus is Lord. His word is what matters. He is king in my life. And so Jesus must rule and reign over my desires. Jesus must rule and reign. He has to be king. And so what this means is it means this. It means, Jesus, I'm giving you authority over my life. I'm submitting to you in these areas of my life even though I don't want to. Even though my entire culture says that I should obey them. Even though this person has told me that it's okay, I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to walk with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what a Christian is. That is what a Christian is. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Church discipline is never punishment. Church discipline is never for the purpose of embarrassing someone. Church discipline is never done angrily. Church discipline is never, ever to be done vindictively. And here's the problem. It has been done that way numerous times. I used to really love this passage because I was a moron. I had a moronic view. And my moronic view was this, that when people sinned in my congregation in, a, in, in ways that I deemed unfit, that it reflected upon me. And so motivated by that idolatry, someone in our congregation sinned years ago. And I, in my anger, and in some ways feeling approved of by this passage, decided to preach a sermon. And even though I didn't call that person out personally, everybody knew who I was talking about. I was a moron. And years later, he came back to me and he said, I'm, I'm still struggling with that. And I had to dive deep into my life, and I, and I had to look over what I had done, and I had, to, and, I, and I had to go back to him, and I had to say, I wronged you in that way. I misused the scriptures. I was a moron, and I should never have done that. Guys, I'm as faulty in this 
as any other human person. I make mistakes. I've screwed this up too. The Apostle Paul says that church discipline is never to ostracize someone. Church discipline is never out of a desire to say, I just want this person out of my presence. It is for that person. It is for that person. It's to say, I want to restore you. I want to see you back in community with us. I want to see you be somebody who's a part of the community and operating and not doing things that are tearing apart the community. I know that the world says that this is going to build up the community because now you're more accepting, but that is not true. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. And he's going to tell them why. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven is yeast. He's talking about baking bread. Quite an analogy, right? He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It just takes a small amount of yeast, apparently, to work through an entire batch of dough. Yeast in the scriptures oftentimes represents sin. Represents sin. And so Paul is saying, do you not know that a little bit of sin goes throughout the entire loaf of bread? Goes throughout the entire body. What's Paul saying? He's saying that sin, no matter how small you think it is, your sin that you've been hiding, that thing it affects the community whether you know it or not because we're not about individuals. This is not an individual society. This is a communal society. It is about the community. This is about God's people. It's not about a person, any one of us. You come to the Bible and you say, what is God saying to me? But that's not true. God may be saying something to you, but he's saying something to you in the context of the local church body. And what he's saying to you is that you should be a part of a local church body. That's how he's speaking to you through his word. And Paul is saying, your sin affects everyone else. Do you not know that this guy's sin is going to spread? It's no secret that the sin within the context of the, of the Catholic church spread. It was rampant. It happens in society. Wells Fargo, thousands of employees had to be fired because they were signing up their customers for things that they did not sign up for, costing them money. And as a result, those employees of Wells Fargo would get uh, benefits, dollars, money. Is one of you texting me right now? What the heck is going on? He's tweeting at me. Sorry. That's really irritating. Don't distract me like that, Satan. All right? I know who you are. I have a very short attention span. I have no idea where I just was. All right. Here we go. Your boasting is not good. All right. Yes, yeah, sin. It goes throughout the whole community, right? Wells Fargo, thousands of employees. It goes throughout. That's not the last time that that happened. Like one person did it. No, it spread. Sin spreads. It goes throughout the community. And what Paul is talking about, he's not saying kick anybody out who's imperfect. No, he's going to tell us what we should be really looking at. He's talking about egregious sin. Just stuff that's really obvious. And people who are unrepentant in their sin, they deserve this treatment. 
this loving treatment. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Kind of confusing. What he's talking about is he's saying, like, hey, you remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's associated with the Passover. So then he's going to say, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. But what he's saying is he's saying, listen, you remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You're supposed to get all yeast out of your house, get it cleared out, and you're to make this bread, and then you're to eat it for seven days. And he's saying, he's making an analogy, and he's saying, listen, you don't understand that this sin is going to work through the community. Just a little tiny sin, it can work through the community. And here's the thing. You and I believe a lie all the time that it's just my sin, it's not going to affect anyone else. No one needs to know about this. It's just my sin, it's not going to affect anyone else. Do you not know that somehow, in some way, that works itself through the community? That works itself through the family? Do you not know that it just takes a little bit? Men and women, you do not understand, and I do not understand sometimes, that our sin affects everyone around us. The scriptures are not just to you personally, to give you a word and to make you feel good. The scriptures are creating God's people, a community of people, and when you allow sin in your life, it tears apart the community. Undealt with sin leads to a destroyed community. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 8. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with, unleavened, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says, let's not try to celebrate this in the way that the world does. Let's not somehow say that evil is actually good. Let's not say that and expect that somehow that's going to help our community. God is the one who determines what is evil and what is good? God is the ultimate one. He's the ultimate judge. And so Paul is saying this. He's saying, act according to who you are. Operate within the context of what God has already said about you. But these people have a major problem. What's their major problem? He says, for Christ our Passover lamb, the end of verse 7, has been sacrificed. He says, you've got to clear out sin. Clear out the sin in your life. Why? Because the lamb has been sacrificed. So what the heck does that mean? Well, he's invoking a couple things. 
he's invoking the Passover and he's invoking the crucifixion. Now, what's, what's the connection between the Passover? If you don't know what the Passover is, here's some history for you. God's people were in Egypt, and over a period of about 400 years, they went from being really popular to being seen as slaves and mistreated. And so God calls Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, all right? I don't know if you remember the song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Hmm, you don't know that song? No. Very popular. Very popular. So he tells Pharaoh, go, go, no, he tells Moses to go, to go tell Pharaoh this. And so he tells Pharaoh this, and, and he says, I'm going to show you a sign that God is really with us. And so repeatedly he shows him these plagues that just tear apart this country, Egypt, and the last plague was this, that the firstborn son was going to be killed of every family. And so God, in order to protect the Israelites, he gives them what's called the Passover. And he says, I want you to take this perfect spotless lamb, each one of you, each family, and I want you to take this lamb, and I want you to prepare it in this specific way. In fact, if you look back at Exodus uh, chapter 12, he says this, if I can get there. He says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, he says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You, sh you, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day. And so God is just very specific. He's saying, take this lamb. And, the, and then he says this in verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it uh, on the two doorposts and the, the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, uh, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And here's the thing. God saves his people with barbecue. I mean, God is that good. Barbecue is that good, all right? And I don't know if you've ever tasted like an incredible brisket before, but like I can make a brisket, right? Here we go, here we go, right? Brisket has salvation in it. That's total heresy, okay. Uh, He's, God says, I want you to take this lamb. You've got to roast this thing. You've got to put the blood on the door and everything. And what's going to happen is that the Lord, the destroyer, it says, is going to pass over the house that has this blood on it and is eating this barbecued lamb, right? Or the goat. And he's going to pass over this. And so what God says, he says, I want this to be a feast, and I want you to remember it. And part of that feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they're supposed to remove all of this yeast that stands for sin. And Paul says this, he says, listen, don't you understand that a little bit of yeast could affect the entire loaf? And he says, the reason why you want to do this, the reason why you should abide by this, the reason why you should be removing sin and not adding it is because of this. 
The Passover lamb has been sacrificed. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why? Because he's going to the cross. He's going to stand in the place of that Passover lamb. Do you know what happens when we say, you know what? What God has said is unholy and wrong and evil. I will call holy. And I will say that it is good. Paul says this. You cannot celebrate the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world because of this. The sin that he died for, you deny. I haven't sinned. I'm accepting. I'm tolerant. And by the way, you're a bigot. I haven't sinned. If you haven't sinned, then you do not need Jesus Christ, your Passover lamb. So here's the thing. Are you somebody that somehow says, you know what, I haven't sinned. I don't have anything in my life that needs adjusting. Are you, are you walking in arrogance? There's a lot of young people in this room. I told you about my, one, of, one of many moronic experiences. I'm with you. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. I've acted like, I, like I'm not wrong when I was wrong. Guess what? You do it too. You and I both. Because all of us, at some point or another in our lives, say, oh, that's not evil. That's not wrong. I, I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to let that one slide. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, you know what? We're, we're, we're just not going to deal with that one. And ultimately, this is what it is. It's a denial of Jesus Christ, your Passover lamb. So how do you not deny him? First John is a really great book that'll just kind of that'll just kind of drive a knife into you. I'll wrap up with this because I have a little bit of time. And the reason why I'm showing you this is because I want to leave you with something to do. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is perfection. There is no sin in him at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If I'm claiming that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and yet I am looking at his word and saying, you know what, 
that was a primitive viewpoint. You lie, and you're walking in darkness. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Do you see what that just said? Walking in the light. It means shining light in the dark places of your life. Guys, faith in the Son of God, faith in your Passover lamb, not overlooking the sacrifice that God has given for you, faith in that comes in this moment that I will shine light in the dark places, not of this world, but in my own life, in my own heart. And what that brings is fellowship with one another. Do you know what brings disfellowship with one another? Infighting, divisiveness, hiding. Hiding my sin. Hiding where I'm wrong. Claiming that what I, what I believe is true and the, and the scriptures are not. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You cannot claim that you do not have sin and be a Christian. It just can't be. So what does it mean to be a Christian? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, there is no one in this room that is not called to walk in obedience. There is no one in this room, and I am begging with you and I'm pleading with you, please do not allow yourself to become prideful and arrogant and act like you rule over the scriptures. The scriptures are your authority. The scriptures are my authority. I am held to account for the things that I've done and the way, and that, way that I say them, and so are you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, what a difficult thing to talk about. God, I feel like we've only scratched the surface here, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that the seriousness of sin has been spoken over us through your word. That so many of us are in this room and God, we need to do self-examination. We need to examine our lives. Lord, some of us, all of us need to open ourselves up to accountability. Some of us need to do that in a way that we never have before. Some of us who are walking pretty well need to get rid of the attitude that we're too busy to serve other believers and walking with them in their sin. And we need to confess our sin of being um, too busy and walking with other church members. Lord, may it be so, may it be said of us that we care about each other, 
that we lovingly restore one another, and that we want to walk with each other through, uh, through sin issues, Lord, through areas of struggle, through areas that we just don't understand. God, make us gracious people who are able to do that. Lord, make us people who are uh, walking with you. And, and Lord, may we abide in you. Lord, may we, may we seek after you. Not, um, Lord, may we not be people who are just driven by morality for morality's sake, but driven by morality because you are our Passover lamb. You went to the cross for us. So Lord, we ask you for this. It's in your name we pray, amen.